All right, so we've been in this Holy Spirit series, and if you haven't been with us, Greg kicked it off with spiritual gifts, and what he talked about is how there's two camps. One camp kind of says, man, we're not, we don't believe that all of the gifts are for today. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit moves in tongues and prophecy and healing, but there's another camp that actually says, no, we believe in all the gifts and that they are for today. And that's kind of the camp that our church lands in. And then the second week, he talked about prophecy and tongues in detail. And so if you haven't seen those, please go back to our YouTube channel. Check those out. Those are some of my favorite messages from Greg. But this week, we're going to be in part three of our Holy Spirit series on spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. So this word discipline, it is to study, learn, train, and apply a system of standards to achieve meaningful objectives, or the ability to pursue what one thinks is right, despite temptations to abandon it. And I'm going to be really, really honest with you this morning. This last phrase, temptations to abandon it, that's where I live. Like, I am not a disciplined person at all. Like, if it doesn't come easy to me, I'm not going to do it, right? And I've seen this throughout my entire life. So in school, not easy for me. I just didn't do it. I don't know how I graduated, but I just did not, I wasn't disciplined to study. And now in my adult life, I see it like in my laundry, right? So I put the laundry in the, in the washer, I put it in my basket, and it stays there for days, right? And so now I have wrinkled clothes. So now I'm in this terrible cycle of laundry because I have to put it back in the washer to get it unwrinkled. And it is just terrible. I see this in my eating. There's been seasons where I am so disciplined to eat well in seasons like now where I just don't care. I am going to eat whatever I want to. Same with working out. I have really close friends in the room. Y'all work out every day. I have no clue how you do that, right? I'm not disciplined because it doesn't come easy to me. But one of the biggest things that I'm not disciplined in is putting gas in my car. So when I, uh, I was asking my husband, Connor, man, what are some things that I'm not disciplined in for my message? And first thing he said, putting gas in your car. Putting gas in your car. Because the thing about my husband, Connor, is he's one of the most disciplined people that I know. And man, he got straight A's all through school. He was in the army for six years, and now he's a senior system engineer. And when his car, when the gas gets a quarter of the way, he's going to the gas station and he's putting gas in his car because he's practiced it since he was a teenager and it's best for his car. But I need y'all and him to understand that it is a process for me to go get gas in my car. All right, this is a big deal for me. So the first thing I have to do to put gas in my car is I actually have to drive to the gas station. I hate driving. Like anytime, anywhere, I don't want to do it. I'll sit in the passenger seat, but I do not want to drive. So I have to get to the gas station, and now I have to get out of my car. And and I don't know if y'all are into the Enneagram or not, but I'm in Enneagram 6, which means I am scared of everything. Like my main motivation for life is fear. And for some reason, the gas station makes me feel vulnerable. So now, yeah, so now I got to get out of my car and I'm alert. I'm looking people in the eyes like I'm ready to go if you are, right? Like that's, that's how I am. And so now I got to get gas in my car. I got to get back in my car, lock the doors immediately. And now I can't be on my phone because being on your phone in public, that's a no-go. Okay, we don't do that because we need to stay alert. So now I'm bored and I got to get out and I got to do it all over again. So it is just a process to get gas in my car. But saying all of this, 
man, I strive to be better at some of these things. I strive to be disciplined because when I'm disciplined, my life is just better. Like when I'm disciplined, I'm just a better person. Man, when I actually put my laundry away, I have clothes, like endless clothes. It's amazing. When I eat well, when I work out every day, I feel better. Like I'm more motivated. My mood is better. Like I, everything about that, when I'm healthy, life is better. And man, when I put gas in my car, it's better for my car, and I don't have the fear of being stranded on the side of the road because that is terrifying, right? And so what happens is discipline, structure, it brings freedom to our lives. And unfortunately, since I'm pretty undisciplined, I can see this seep into my spiritual walk with Christ. I can see this seep in to how I commune with him and how I spend time with him. And man, when I am not spiritually disciplined... I run on fear a lot more. Wow. There it is. Are we good? Does that sound weird? We're good. All right. So when I am not spiritually disciplined, man, I am fearful. I am anxious. I start to get arrogant and prideful, man. I just start to walk in my flesh. And what that means is I start to look a whole lot more like Katie and less like Jesus. And if you're me, that's like bad at all times. Right, what starts to happen is I become close but far from the Lord. Close but far. And kind of what I mean by that, it's like if you go on a coffee date with someone from high school and you haven't seen them in like 10 years. Right, there's, there is this closeness of like, we grew up together and I know you, but there's going to be some awkwardness of like, who are you and what do you do for work? And like, we're going to have to figure it out because we're close but like super far removed. Or maybe you've uh, gotten in a fight with your significant other before bed. I know everyone's like, don't go to bed mad. I don't know about y'all. That has not been a reality all the time in my life. Like, I have definitely gone to bed mad sometimes. But in those moments, I feel so close to Connor still. He's the closest relationship that I have here on this earth. But man, in those moments when we go to bed mad or when I'm just emotionally removed from him, he feels so close but so far. Man, physically, he feels like he's on the other side of the room. Emotionally, like we are just far. And this is what starts to happen with me and God. Close but far. Because with the Lord, the, the Bible says that the blood of Christ draws us near to him. And so if you're a child of God, you have been brought near to God. So we are close. But in the beginning, sin separated us from God. So there was a time where I was separated from him. But then God sent Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, took on the sins of the world, died on the cross. But then three days later, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was risen from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, so that we could have a personal relationship with him. And so if you're a child of God, you have been brought near to Christ. Man, you are redeemed. You are restored. You are seen. You are loved. You are close. But man, when we are not spiritually disciplined, we can seem so far. But man, when I am spiritually disciplined, I am so close to the Father. Man, my goal is that the Holy Spirit would just lead me in everything that I do. And now, it's not like I'm, I'm like alert, like come at me. I'm like spiritually aware, spiritually alert, where I'm like, man, Jesus, I want you to move today. If you have something for me or your people today, I want to be a part of it. I love how Elizabeth Elliot says it. She says, freedom is the final reward of discipline. Freedom is the final reward for discipline. 
And my heart for our church is that we would be a church that looks more like Jesus, that allows the Holy Spirit to lead the way in our lives, and that walks in freedom. And I just believe that spiritual disciplines do just that. And so I have a list of disciplines. If you have a journal or your like notes on your phone, I'd love for you to write this list down. So the first one is meditation, Bible reading, prayer, worship, fasting, confession, Sabbath, fellowship, generosity, service, celebration, and silence. Man, I love this list. I think this is a beautiful list of, of spiritual disciplines, and I believe that we have margin for all of these to be very active in our lives. But instead of going through like my top three, or instead of going through all of them, because to be honest, we could spend a year going through spiritual disciplines, what I wanted to do this morning is I want to talk about our response to the presence of the Lord in our lives. I want to talk about the response that we have when Jesus is in the room. Because my thought process, if we have the wrong response when it comes to the presence of the Lord in our lives, spiritual disciplines will just become a to-do list and a checklist. Man, if we have the wrong response, what's going to happen is we are going to abandon spiritual disciplines very, very quickly. And I believe if we have the wrong response, spiritual disciplines aren't going to cultivate this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus like they're supposed to. And so this morning... I'm going to be in Luke 7, and I'm going to be talking about two responses to the Lord, and I hope you see it as we read Scripture. But Jesus, he's been traveling everywhere, and his disciples are with him. Um, crowds are just following him. He's been doing miracles, and so he has people watching him. Okay, and so there's this group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were watching him closely. And this was just religious leaders who looked down on everyone because of the religious rules or the religious standards that they held. And so a lot of the times when they would look at Jesus, they judged him. And then if they looked upon anyone else that didn't uphold these standards, um, they were not for them. They, they didn't spend time with them. They were very, very judgmental. And so we're going to talk about a Pharisee named Simon. So we're starting in Luke 7, starting in verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him, which is Jesus. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is, is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Man, there's a lot going on in this scene, but the first thing that I notice is you have this Pharisee who invites Jesus to dinner. He's probably having his friends over, his family over, and he says, Jesus, I want you to come to dinner with me. And the thing about Simon is his motives are, are pro probably off when it comes to having Jesus in his house because we even see his attitude of if this man was a prophet. So at best, he thinks that Jesus is a good teacher, but if he was, he definitely wouldn't be allowing this woman to touch him. And so Simon, this Pharisee with wrong motives, asks Jesus to come to the dinner table with him. And what does Jesus do? 
Jesus says, yes, I will come to dinner with you. And I bet you he was even excited to spend time with these Pharisees. And so I just want to know in our lives, when we gather here on Sunday mornings or our lives Sunday through Saturday, when we invite Jesus in, he will say yes. He will come. Whether we're asking him to be a part of today or whether tomorrow morning we say, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life, he will say yes. But then we have this sinful woman. And I don't know how she found this house. I don't know how she found Jesus. She's probably been watching his miracles all day. And maybe she did some investigating work to where Simon lives. Or she just straight up followed them to the house. But what she does is, man, she crashes this party. Because it's probably clear that this Pharisee did not invite her. Right? Even Luke, her name in this passage is sinful woman. And so whatever she's doing, whatever her lifestyle, the town probably understands she's sinful and we just don't really want anything to do with her. But man, she boldly comes into this room. She is at the feet of Jesus, crying and washing his feet, anointing him. And so what she's doing in this moment is she's saying, man, I don't even, I don't care if y'all haven't gotten to dessert yet. If he's the healer, if he's king, if he's the Messiah, I'm going to be at his feet. If he is who he says he is, I'm going to be at his feet. And then what she starts to do is she starts to give him everything, anointing him, crying with him, washing his feet. What she's saying is, God, here is everything I have and your king. Because what she's doing in this moment is she's at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. And so what this woman did is she made Jesus the main event of the table. Before this, he was just someone that was coming along just to observe and to be a part. But this woman says, no, 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 if you're king, if you're Jesus, man, you are everything. You are the main event. This was the right response to Jesus in the room. And then we go on in verse 40. It says, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more, more, wow, lost my place. He graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much but the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so in this scene, we have two responses to the presence of the Lord. And the reason that I didn't want to just jump into spiritual disciplines is because if we have the wrong response, they will end. That will not cultivate a relationship with Jesus. But man, if we're just at his feet 
if we're just saying, man, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to worship you as king because right here at your feet, I am going to receive whatever I need. Man, if we do that, what I believe is going to happen is being at the feet of Jesus, desperate for his presence, leads us to be spiritually disciplined, which in turn keeps us at the feet of Jesus. Man, I truly believe if we're desperate for who he is, if we're desperate for him to move in our lives, that's going to lead us down a road of spiritual disciplines, which in turn will keep us at his feet. And so I just have a couple of ways that we can be at his feet or start to be at his feet to worship him. And so the first one is to evaluate. Man, we really as a church, as a Christ follower, we need to evaluate our hearts. Man, where are we at with this? Are we close but far? Man, have I asked Jesus to be a part of my life and kind of just sat him on the sidelines and just say, hey, I just want you to observe. I'm already doing my thing. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if need be, I'll call upon you. Or have we said, no, God, I, want to, I just want to bask in your presence. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be, and I just want to worship you. And maybe that's you in the room. Maybe you're saying, man, God is, move, is moving in my life. I am falling more in love with him every day, and I just want to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to lead my life. Man, if that's you, can we just celebrate that for a minute? Man, it is beautiful having a personal relationship with Jesus I mean, maybe you need to be a mentor. Our heart here is that we would have dedicated people who follow Jesus that can help other people be dedicated followers of Jesus. And so maybe when we start groups in August, man, you can be a mentor and you can be praying about that. Maybe some of you in the room, you're saying, no, I know for sure that I'm Simon. I know for sure that I don't put God first. I'm definitely not desperate for him in the mornings. I'm not like craving more time with him. And so maybe for you, you need to realign your heart to the truth that Jesus has a plan and a will for your life and that his will is better than whatever we can imagine, right? Man, maybe there's some people in the room where you're saying, hey, Katie, you keep talking about this like close but far. I only know far. I've only felt far from God. Man, Katie, if you knew the doubts in, in my head about him, if you knew what I've seen, what I've done, like you would understand that Jesus does not want to be at my table. And can I please just let you know if that's your thought process, that that's just a lie from the enemy, that the God of the universe, whatever state you're in right now, he sees you, he loves you, and he wants a personal relationship with, him, with you. Man, I love the sinful woman because she didn't come in and say, hey, Jesus, before I give you everything, before I make you king, I just want you to know, like, I've done this and this and this, and this is how people see me like he didn't already know. That's not what she did. She boldly approached him, gave him everything, and said, you are king. And so maybe for some of us in the room for the first time, you need to say, hey, Jesus, I believe that you came. I believe that you died. And would, would you just be the king of my heart? Holy Spirit, would you teach me how to be at the feet of Jesus? And so we need to evaluate. The second thing we need to do is we need to set the tone. Man, we need to start setting the tone. So I am a character coach for the basketball team at North Paulding. It is one of my, the fa my favorite thing that I get to do. It's so fun. But what I tell the girls is, hey, set the tone. I, I tell all my seniors, hey, you are setting the tone this year. And what that means is the game starts before the game. The game starts in the locker room 
with how you guys are like interacting with each other, your focus in, how you're respecting coach. The game starts when you step on the court for warm-up. Man, I can tell if the girls are going to win or lose through their warm-up because they're setting the tone to win or they're setting the tone to lose. It's the same with our eating. Man, it is so crucial the first thing that you eat when you wake up in the morning because you are setting the tone for your appetite, right? Like if I wake up and I eat something super sugary or if I wake up and I don't eat till one o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna want Taco Bell all day. Like I am setting the tone to just want nasty stuff all day and I'm probably gonna go to Taco Bell and get me something, right? Because I am just setting the tone for my, ap- my appetite. But if I wake up and I have eggs and rice and spinach, I'm set. Like, I am good for the day. The day is going to be amazing eating-wise. And, man, it is the same for our spiritual walk. We have to start setting the tone to pursue Jesus every day, all day. And so I would really ask you, what does the first hour of your day look like? Is it on social media? Are you opening up your inbox to start working? What are you listening to? What do your thoughts sound like? Man, are we just setting ourselves up to just be worldly and to think worldly all day? Or is it best just in the presence of God at his feet with spiritual disciplines, including just setting the tone to want to crave Jesus more? And as I've been studying spiritual disciplines, my time in the morning has changed a little bit. Um, So I used to kind of get up, make coffee, do whatever, I'd pray a little bit. I'd write down some of my fears and kind of hand that over to the Lord. And, and that's okay. But as, as I've been just studying what I've really learned and what I believe is that the word of God is food for our souls. And so it's really crucial that we eat first thing in the morning. And, and so what I've been doing is I've been going into my office, and I'm being a little vulnerable with you just telling you how I do my quiet time because I want you to have um, just an example of how I set the tone in my life. But I grab my journal and my phone, and I literally kneel on the floor. Like I'm either laying on the floor or I'm kneeling on the floor. And what I'm doing is I'm physically telling the Lord, hey, you're king. I am physically in a posture of like, I want to surrender to you today, and I am ready for you to lead the way. And then all I do, and this is before like my, my study time or devotions or anything like this, this, this is really just setting the tone. What I do is I open my phone, I use the YouVersion U Bible app, and I go to the verse of the day. And I literally like section by section, I'll write out like the first section of the verse and I will meditate on that. I'll think about it, I'll say it, and then I'll journal, man, how is this affecting me? How can I apply this to my life? Do I do this well, and then I'll do that for each section, and I'll pray over it, and then almost every time when I do this, it leads me to confession and celebration almost every single time. Man, there is something in God's word that I just read that kind of pricks my heart that says, man, I don't do that well. Man, Jesus, I do not keep my eyes on you. There are so many things that I'm looking at. Man, would you just, would you just keep my eyes on you? And then the last, the last end of the verse says, but Jesus is sitting at the right hand in the throne of God. And that just brings me to celebration of God. I am thankful you're on the throne. I am thankful that you're in control and that you see me, even though sometimes I don't keep my eyes on you. And so how I'm setting the tone is now I'm meditating on God's word, Prayer, journaling, confession, and celebration, like first 30 minutes of my day, that is setting the tone for me to just want to crave Jesus more and more. And so how are you setting the tone? How are you scheduling in time with Jesus? So we need to evaluate. 
We need to set the tone, but then we need to actually study and apply. And worship team, you can go ahead and start heading up if you want to. Um, but I love this quote from Voo Church. It says, spiritual disciplines are more about becoming than it is about doing. It is following and applying the lifestyle of Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are not the end-all, be-all, but just a journey pursuing Jesus. Disciplines take practice. Man, I love this thought process of it's not about doing. Remember, if our response to the Lord is not at his feet, willing and ready for him to lead, it will just turn into doing. But this is actually about becoming. This is actually about being in the presence of God and becoming more like him. And when I talk about study, I think we have a ton of excuses when it comes to spiritual disciplines, me included. But I think A lot of the times we can just say, oh, well, that's not my spiritual gift, or I don't really understand why that's in the Bible. I have no no idea how that applies to my life. And I would just encourage you, take this list home that I gave you and actually start studying. Man, if fasting is on there and you have no idea why fasting is on that list, start studying it. There are so many books on spiritual disciplines. There are so many books on all the different kinds of spiritual disciplines. I even took a spiritual disciplines class at Cross Point City Church in Cartersville. You can take that class. I mean, the Bible is an incredible way to learn why are spiritual disciplines important and why did Jesus follow them? Why did Jesus practice them? Let's actually start studying what spiritual disciplines are and then let's apply them. Let's give ourselves some structure. Let's give ourselves some discipline because discipline leads to freedom always. So let's start studying. Let's start applying. Like I said, that the 12 disciplines that, that I talked about, we have margin for them. We do. And so I believe if we evaluate, if we set the tone, if we study and apply spiritual disciplines to our lives, I believe that we're going to see revival in our community. And this word revival, when we started Creekside Church, I heard it a lot. Corey was saying it. Greg was saying it. We want to see revival. And man, I just kind of hopped on the train. Yes, I want to see revival. And kind of in my mind, I thought, okay, that means that we're going to plant a church. We're going to see a lot of people come to know Jesus. And like, it's going to be awesome. But what God started to reveal to me is, no, 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 Katie, revival starts with you. Revival starts with us, the church, the body of Christ, being at my feet. This word revival, it's an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. An instance of something becoming popular, active, and important again. And so what God told me is, Katie, I need you to make my name known. I need you to make my name popular and active and important again. And when we do that as a church, we see people that are far from God, brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, I fully believe that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do for our church, is revival. And so would you join me? in this revival, in this pursuing Jesus and pursuing his people and then making disciples. I mean, in this moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. And we do this every week because we believe that prayer is powerful. And, and so in this moment, 
man, grab your husband or grab your wife, grab a friend, and, and let's start praying together. Man, maybe there's things in your life that you need to confess. Let's start confessing those together. And then we're going to have some worship. But y'all feel free at this time to just move around as much as you want.